So we're once again in the book of James today, and this has been a very interesting book as we've begun to work through part of it. I wish we could spend a long time in it, but uh, the calendar and the events uh, of this world and what the Lord has ordained will not allow us to do that. But as we're going into James today, today we're going to talk about the Word of God specifically. And on occasion, someone will ask me about why I preach the way I do. I'd like to tell you it's, all, it's always with a, a smile, but sometimes it's with a little bit of frustration. It just depends. And sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's not. But it feels like a loaded question sometimes. People say, why do you preach the way you do? And I think to myself for a minute, okay. Uh, if I'm honest, I feel my preaching has changed over the years as I, I've grown as a, a minister and it's grown as a result of those who have mentored me and what they have poured into me. I have been blessed to have uh, worked under some great preachers. I, all the pastors I've worked under, I, you know, I, I've worked on you know, Dr. Bill Hoffman, uh, Dr. Dean Weaver, Dr. J.D. Funiak. I've worked under these guys, Dr. Bob Hines. These pastors that have mentored me are all really good preachers. I mean, they're, they're all very good preachers, to be honest with you. So I was blessed to grow up, even from the time I was a small child, and, and work alongside just men of God who really knew how to preach God's word. So it's no wonder when I describe it, particularly now through my experience and how that shaped me, I would say it's 90 plus percent scripture and 10 percent of me somewhat reacting to it and all of you hopefully sitting there and going, yep, I get that, or I think he's weird, but I'm going to listen more. But whatever it is, hopefully you're understanding that it's about God's word. You know, I try to be what we call an expository preacher. I'm giving you an exposition, a detailed explanation and understanding of God's word. And sometimes people like that. And sometimes, frankly, there's been some complaints about that. And honestly, I'm okay with that because I believe God's word is rich with examples and with information that helped me know how to not only lead as a, a teaching elder, as a Christian pastor, but honestly, for me, as I prepare and preach God's word, I get to grow as a Christ follower, and hopefully God uses what we are doing in preaching to bless you. And I always think of it as being a Christ follower, as one who seeks to do that. Dr. David Wyrick, who also is a great preacher and pastor emeritus of this church, and those of you who sat under him, knows he, he knows how to preach God's word as well. And he always said, I don't like the term Christian, and some of you probably will remember this. He'll say, what? I like the term Christ follower. He always liked that term and liked us to use that, and, and I appreciate that because I, I understand where he's coming from, having worked underneath him. That's what he talks about, this idea that we are all called to know Jesus Christ, to follow him, and then we're supposed to what? We're supposed to grow, and you guys know the rest of it, right? Yeah, we're supposed to to go out in the world and we're sowing those seeds of faith, right? We understand that that is in the DNA, the very fabric of this church, of this church family. And that's, that's a really good thing. And so today we're going to look at that. We're going to learn precisely about that, the idea of how we grow and know God and how that drives us to go out and to do something about it in today's passage from James. And we've already learned in James this deeper understanding of that kingdom of redemption, the kingdom we learned about in the parables, James wants us to have a practical understanding of that in our faith. And the early church was difficult for James. We learned about this, being the half-brother of Jesus, knowing what he went through. And, and in the early church, there was persecution, there was unrest, uncertainty, all the things we're dealing with. And what do we as Christians do in these times? 
when such times rise up in our lives, we don't just stand on a slogan and we don't just rally around one issue. It's not about politics. It's not about just one issue, whether even if it's a moral issue. It's not that we abandon those ideas, but that's not all we stand on. I don't think it's sufficient for us to be involved in just one of those things. Those, there's things we should can can hold to and singular matters of faith and conscience, and, but yet it always comes back to the core and foundational matter for us, and that is the Word of God. What's it mean for us to know the Word of God? And we must cling to our faith, and we must know the Word of God. We must know it. So as we've learned over these weeks, we want the Scripture to guide us to see that God is at work in our lives even now, even in this time of uncertainty, so that we can be strengthened and comforted and informed about who God is and indeed how He still loves us and how He's going to even use us in uncertain times like this. So what I think James wants us to get at, and just to give you the kickoff today, he wants us to understand today is we're going to see that Christ followers must stand on the Word of God alone. As those who follow Christ, we have to know God and we have to understand his words. Christ being part of the Trinity, being the Son of God, he understood that intimately. And yet, by the Holy Spirit that he sent, we too can know God's word because we have the fullness of God's revelation for us in the 66 books of Scripture. So today, we're going to trust in that. We're going to dig into that. We're going to understand maybe in an earthly sense what it means for us to stand alone on the word of God. We're going to go to James Chapter 1, starting in verse 19 through verse 27, and we're going to learn today basically two concepts James wants us to get. How as Christ followers, we must receive and respond to the Word of God. Again, there's a two-part process, and we're doing this all the time in our lives, or we're not doing it, whether we're aware or not. We are either rejecting the Word of God, and we're failing to respond to it, or hopefully in Christ as we're standing in a right relationship with God, we are receiving and responding to the Word of God and the centrality of Scripture, of God's holy Word for us today. How we faithfully interact with that, that's what we're going to talk about. And how we do that, how we receive and how we respond to God's Word is very important. Because if we do that faithfully, even though it's imperfect for us, if we do that faithfully, it will determine if we as Christ followers will stand or whether we'll fall in the storms of life. So let's dig in now starting in verse 19 of James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent... Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before the Father, before God the Father is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is God's holy word. So how do we receive the word of God? That's primarily what James has explained to us, particularly in verses 19 through 21. He kicks off this idea, the reception of the word. And right here in verse 21, scholars note the unique choice in words and in concept here. Verse 21, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. It's so interesting here that they have this idea. So the idea of us receiving the word, and of course, it's interesting, they use that term here, the implanted word. And James is not doing this by accident. And if you were here during our parable series, this is going to make sense. The idea here, the word receive, though, is a key word. Now, as a parent or grandparent, particularly if Someone in your family or someone you know served in the military or maybe you just grew up watching MASH and Colonel Potter. I don't know what that is for you. But a lot of times in my home with my dad and also with my godfather who lived up the street who was kind of like my grandpa and he was in World War II, they would always use this phrase with me. They probably use this phrase with me because I'm a spaz. If you don't know what a spaz is, if you're too young, I'm hyperactive. If you didn't know that about me, you've never spent more than three minutes with me because it's, it's fairly obvious that that's who I am. They would always stop me and make me look them in the eye and they would say, are you receiving me? Kind of like the idea of a garbled radio transmission. And the garbled radio transmission was my spastic energy. And they'd say, are you receiving me? And I, yes, I, I receive you over and out. I remember as a little kid, I would say that and salute and say over and out. And they'd say, good. Because they knew that that meant I actually listened to them, understood, and took that inside of me to do something about it. It wasn't a garbled transmission on the radio waves. It got through all the static going on in my nervous energy, and I was going to do something with it. Now, from Scripture here, it's not a communications issue, but this is about that deeper issue, the heart, the comprehension, the understanding of us, of how sin affects each one of us in the Word of God, how it's presented, how it's preached, and how it's experienced, uh, We learned about this in our parable of the soils. James here is latching on to the same concept that made sense to the people that Jesus used in the parable of the soils. That's why he says they're the implanted word. Remember, you have the seeds that are sown. That's the preaching of God's great grace, the good news of the gospel. And it sinks in like your heart is like soil. And sometimes it gets through, but if it's on rocky soil, if it's on the road, or if it's in the good soil, it sinks in. If the birds snatch it up, if the vines snatch it up, there's these different elements. Maybe it's received just emotionally. Maybe it's not received at all. Maybe it sounds good, but then when the worries or stresses or the the troubles of a sinful world, that, that, that chokes the life out of it, but very, you know, only a quarter of the time in the, in the story, if you think about it, in the soils, does it really sink in? And that's the implanted word. James here is talking to Christians, to believers who have the implanted word in their hearts. And he's very clear about what that is. The gospel is the implanted word of God. And all of God's word, from the book of Genesis to the very end, the book of Revelation, what we still wait for yet to come is about the redemption 
of souls, the forgiveness of sins in Christ who has came to seek and save the lost. That's what we sang about when we opened today. For God so loved the world. That's what we celebrate at this table this day. The implanted word in scripture is the vehicle by which God declares that through his redemptive history to us that is able to save souls. That's what's being talked about here. So as we jump ahead in verse 21, it says we have to understand it's about receiving it the right way, receiving the word of God, understanding what it is. It's able to save us. And that means there's an element of understanding and humility that we need saved. We don't have it all together. We're broken people. We need the implanted word of God. And with humility, we submit to God and say, I need that. That's what we come to this table for today. And back in verse 19 about this, we say, how do we receive the word? What gets in the way, perhaps, of us receiving the word? What does it look like? God's plans, God's purposes, God's redemptive history declared in Scripture. Well, in short, what gets in the way? We do. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Think about that. My dear brothers and sisters, there's three parts here described. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Would you say that is the default spiritual, emotional, and practical state of the world around us. I didn't think you would. I can't say that either. The way James is addressing this to believers, remember, this is for believers, it's important here. He's addressing those who have the word in their heart, who have received the word of God. Last week in verse 18, we ended where the believers receive and know that every good and perfect gift is coming down from the Father of lights. God loves them. He's given them the word. This is all predicated, James 1. He's talking to those who know Christ, who are known by Christ, who have received in their hearts the gospel. But yet, they're not perfect. They're still broken sinners like you and me. That's what happens. We're not suddenly perfect for us. And so, in reality, James is talking to brothers and sisters in Christ and the kingdom. And James being Jesus' brother, he's saying brothers and sisters to them, and he's Jesus' brother, so you know this is this idea that Jesus talked about. We're all the family of God, and yet families don't always do this, particularly Thanksgiving is coming, where people will not be quick to listen, will not be slow to speak, and maybe won't be slow to anger. I mean, just come on, think about it for a minute. Post-election, luckily I'm sure everything will have simmered down in America by then, don't you think? We can pray, right? We can hope. This is being addressed to the family of God by Jesus' brother. Just as Jesus talked about in the many parables, hey, I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to present this. And you've got to hear it because it's the word that's going to save your souls. Jesus talks about this throughout his teaching, throughout his scripture. He reaches out in the gospels to all those who need it in all of scripture. He invites Zacchaeus in for a meal. He goes to those who are the lame, who are the broken, the marginalized, the rejected, and he says, hey, listen, and they do. And they respond in faith, but sometimes those who should have gotten it the most understood it the least. But here, James is saying, you're not like them. You're brothers and sisters in the family, so listen up. There's practical 
potential in this, but it's more than that. This is about the Word of God. God's Word calling us, demanding of us as those who are sinners who receive the gospel that we would live different lives, spiritually, emotionally, and practically. We are called to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We need to remember that in the hyper-polarized, charged environment we're dealing with in our world right now. We need to remember this. Think about this. It's not just that we hear each other, though it is that. It is that we would hear one another. But most of all, who are we supposed to hear first? We talked a little bit last week. Who's first? We're supposed to hear God. This is about God's word. This whole passage we said is about God's word. We have to be quick to listen to God. Slow to tell God how it is. And we should be very slow to be angry with God. It doesn't mean we don't get upset. It doesn't mean we don't ask questions. There's an element of humility. Instead of us getting self-righteous, instead of us getting selfish in the spiritual sense, in the emotional sense, I don't need anyone. I know better than anyone. I know better than the people around me. I don't need to listen to them. And I know better than God. Because it's never one without the other. If you're listening to God, you're going to learn to listen to other people. If you're not listening to other people, I'm guessing you're probably not also listening to God. It's part of that sinful human nature. Verse 20 talks about this. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. This makes sense to us, but we never really think about it. How to not receive the word of God. We don't receive God's word unless we see that we're sinners and we need a savior. Unless we stand in our own false righteousness and we say, I don't need it. You know what? You shut up. You can't tell me anything. How many of us have done that? Often we do it to the people that love us the most in the world around us, to our spouses, our friends, our parents, our grandparents, our teachers and mentors. I talked about all these pastors, including our pastor emeritus here, people that teach and mentors. Sometimes we say, I, I, I know what I'm doing. I don't need you to tell me what to do. All of us, all of us, I'm sure, have moments when in our self-righteous human arrogance thought about somebody else farther along in life than us who is a godly person I don't even think they know what they're talking about. How many of us later in hindsight cringe at the thought of that, recognizing how little we understood? Not only about the world around us, but the world within us. Human anger, human sinfulness doesn't get us anywhere. We receive God's word in humility because disobedience, rebellion against God, our sinful nature against anyone who tells us we're not right, against anyone who disagrees with us, that polarization is eating our nation alive. And it's not just about your politics. It's not just about your experience. It's not just about your skin color. It's not about any one of those things, though it may be in parts about all or many of those things. It's about the fact that we have rejected the word of God and it tells us who we are, that we're broken sinners who need a Savior. People say to me, well, this is all going to get better. Well, unless we turn back to God as a nation, we are avoiding, we're talking about finding a cure for a virus right now. The virus that's really destroying our country isn't just the coronavirus, it's sin. And it's our unwillingness as a people to repent of it. And James sees it in his world. 
We have to have a right relationship with God. And James is presupposing here that we're going to understand this, but we want to be the one that gets it all right. And God is saying, don't you understand? I'm the one that already got it all right, so listen to me. We forget who we are. We forget who God is in the relationship we have with him. James is telling us here we must all slow down and listen to God. And that means to listen to God, we have to study the word of God. Because we believe that is God's holy word. And as sinful people, this can feel unnatural to us. But just so you know, as this church, part of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, we believe three things about God's word. It is inerrant. It is without error. It will never lead us into what is sinful and wrong. It is inspired. Every word, every jot and tittle we have of Scripture in the original autographs that is painstakingly, meticulously preserved and translated is exactly what God intends. It's an error and it's inspired and it's infallible. That word will never fail to produce the spiritual change, the gospel change. It will never come up void and fail to do what God has put it here to do. And that's what we believe in this church, God's word. It is, a, it is not a collection of stories. It's not great advice. It's not warm and fuzzy. It's not just really nice and allegorical. It's the very word of God. That's what we believe. And that's as far as I know from knowing Dr. Wyrick and those in this church's past what this church has always believed. And that's what James tells us we must understand it. And if we understand that's what God's word is, we're going to slow down to really, really hear it because those 66 books are life for us where there is nothing but death in the world around us. It's truly the light in the darkness. But because of how we feel, because we're all naturally rebelling against God, we don't stop and do that. We don't receive it the way we ought to. Think about it this way. We want our expectations met. We want our understanding. We want our picture of how things should be to be validated. We're seeing that. That's part of that sinfulness, me-centered. I love it when I counsel couples when they're getting married, young couples. And I always ask them some semblance, and I've, some of you know I've asked these questions, and I say, uh, so what are you going to do for your first holidays, you know, first set of holidays together? You know, Thanksgiving, Christmas are coming. And almost without fail, one of them will say what's going to happen, and the other one will begin to shift around a little bit in the seat. Because they're thinking about how they have expectations and their family maybe has expectations, but whatever it is, they have expectations for how the holiday is going to go. And then the other person in the relationship, they have expectations for how the holiday is going to go. And they realize what happened before they even married. What are they? They're, they're at odds. Well, we can't do that tradition because I have to do this tradition, but I have to have that tradition. But what about this tradition? And if we don't do that tradition, oh my gosh, what am I going to tell my parents? Well, I don't know, but you better tell them something. I'm not going to lie to you. It's one of my favorite parts of premarital counseling. <laughs> and I just sit back, and I, if you've ever done this, I put you in chairs or a couch by each other, and I watch your body language, and it is delightful. It is. Because we have expectations of our lives that we can't even fulfill for each other, and yet we have expectations we're even putting on God. Have we ever stopped to really know God's word and understand that he's the sovereign Lord and maybe he's got some ideas on how our lives should be? Our sin nature makes it hard for us to do that. We've got ideas. We want it to be our way. It's what we want to hear from God's word. It's how we want to hear it. 
People read their own stuff into God's word. That's why we have to study it so carefully, so thoughtfully. That's why we're starting our discipleship groups here. That's why we say we're in church of disciples making disciples. You can't have a bumper sticker understanding of your faith in Christ and make it in this world. You couldn't do it ever, and you certainly can't do it now. Receiving the word of God. God's holy scripture requires us to get our stuff out of the way. We have to empty ourselves. Jesus says this back in Luke 8, 18. He says, therefore, take care, care. He says, take care how you listen. He says, don't just sit there and, you know, receive this. Listen carefully to it. Receive it. We must exchange what we've got and we've got to make room for it in our own lives. Receiving the word requires we empty ourselves. Verse 21, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth. That's a tough word. In the evil that is so prevalent, that was even in James's day. They didn't have the internet in James's day. Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And we're going to talk about that Greek word there in a second. It's able to save our souls. So we see this word here. In the word there, they say moral filth. And this is where we get stuck and we want to be angry. We want to find those quick fixes, those functional saviors. Sometimes it's Obvious addiction. Sometimes it's just being right, being validated. If you ever talk to a psychologist or a counselor, we have some here at our church, they'll tell you that we're all looking for validation. We're all looking for that validation. But James is clear we can't receive God's word in fullness until we empty ourselves, make room for God. And that means, honestly, that we're dealing with our own stuff and our own sin. We recognize who we are and what God has given us is the power unto life when sin just fills us with death. So the word there that they have, that word there, if you want to impress your friends, that's riparion is that word in Greek right there. That's actually an R sound. I know it doesn't look like that to you. Riparion is the word there in the Greek, and it means filthy laundry, filthy clothes, dirty clothes. If you have a college student in your house or a grandchild, you know that they live by a very simple rule for what they dress in. I'm older now. This goes to the dry cleaners because I'm old. But when I was young, all my clothes were judged by one test, the smell test. If it looked okay and smelled okay, I wore it. I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. Dr. John MacArthur teaches on this. I love, he talks about filthy clothes. In the classic Greek, this is the idea of dirt or gunk. Here it's like wearing something dirty. You're having something dirty stuck on you, like clothes you wear, or like the wax in your ears is riaperion. It's dirty and gunky and sticks to you, like sticky, dirty clothes or like wax in your ears. Now I am getting old. So I have plenty of wax in my ears, plus I have hair that grows out of my ears like I'm Yoda from Return of the Jedi. Like really old Yoda when he was like, you know, do you ever notice that? He had, more, he had more hair in his ears in Return of the Jedi. This is what spastic people like me notice, you know. So now when you watch episode one and then watch him in Return of the Jedi, you'll see that he has way more hair in his ears at the end. That's true for all of us. We all know this, right? Wax is gross when you get it in your ears, but what does wax in your ears keep you from doing? Hearing, that's right. It keeps us from hearing. 
we can become spiritually deaf. What James is saying here is, are you going to receive God's word the right way? Or in a heart sense, in a spiritual sense, do you have wax in your ears? Do you have some mess in your life that is keeping you from being filled with God's word that you've got to clean out? In our house, we have a large plastic bin. It is called the sock bin. It is a horrible, sad, emotional place for me. It's a bin full of all of our clean socks that have not been sorted and put away. And when I need socks, I may have mentioned this because it's an emotional, sad place for me. I go down and I find socks and I pray, dear Lord, let me reach in in the first 20 seconds and find two socks that match close enough that I don't have to look anymore. And every once in a while, because I know my wife loves to sort socks, she hates it. It's her least favorite thing in the world. She hates to sort socks. Because she hates it so much, I will go down and I will sit there and do my best for whatever period of time to sort out all the socks in the sock bin as an act of love for my wife. And she is so very thankful when I do that because she hates to sort socks. And I hate to search for socks, so it's a, it's a perfect marriage situation for us. It works out great. That's what we do. And she does other things that I hate to do, so it's not like I'm superhuman and, you know, it's sad. She just hates socks. That's okay. She doesn't like to do it. But when we recognize that God has made a way for us to get that problem out of our lives, that's what the cross is all about. That's what we come to celebrate today. When we understand this, when we understand that God has made a way, and when we understand the gospel, we want to rid ourselves of those things in our lives that are holding us back, that are gunking up our souls and our lives, to keep us from receiving in power and in fullness God's goodness, God's hope, God's truth. We're still sinful people, but we've got to deal with our sin. Repenting means you turn and walk away from your sin. And that's what it is. It's, you get it all cleaned up, all sorted out, and you get it out, and it's empty space. That bin is empty. There's room to put something else in it. Your heart is empty. It's able to receive and hold God's word. But we have to humbly receive it. We have to put aside sin. Romans 13, 12 says it like this. The night is nearly over. The day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I love that. The armor of light. I love what it says there. This idea of armor. It's a vivid picture for us. A new life in Christ. New attitudes changed in Christ. For all of us to belong. Almost like we're someone in the service of a king. Like a knight or a damsel or whatever. You're someone that has an official outfit that you put on official, but armor does what for us? Having God's word not only cleans us out, not only gets us right, what does armor do? It protects us. We could go into the armor of God and talk about that. We don't have time to do that today, but think about this. We know and respond, and when we do, God says, when you're walking in my word, I'm going to take care of you. It doesn't mean armor's not impervious. This is not some health and wealth thing where God says, you're never going to get hurt if you do this. But God says, if you put on what is right, there is protection because you're going to find blessing in that. Verse 22 builds on this whole idea in verse 23. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. Now, back in their day, their mirrors were not like ours. Manny and I, have, were we doing a bathroom in our house because our bathtub was completely rusted out? So we're redoing a whole bathroom right now. So this is how you know you've been married long enough. We go to the store, to Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever, and we pick out stuff without fighting. It's a glorious moment when you go in and say, 
You like that one? Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, what do you think about this one? That's pretty good. And then we, sometimes it's like, we're like, any of these are fine. We're just going to pick one out. So we, we picked this out. You have to find a vanity, and you have to find the faucet or whatever, and the, the bathtub shower thing's pretty easy, and you, you do all that. But the thing is, we found all these different mirrors that they have. And we're looking like, I didn't think I'd like that mirror, but I like that one. We're looking at a huge mirror, like two, three feet, beautiful. It has like a thing where you can adjust it. Some of them have magnification so I can see the hair in my ears or whatever it is because I'm getting old. They're pretty great, but you can go look at these mirrors and see them, and they're really amazing. It's HD, some, you know, but the older you get, do you really want an HD mirror? I don't think I do. I don't think I ever wanted one. I don't. My wife's beautiful, and she looks the same as she did the day we met, so she deserves one, so that's fine. I don't need that. But back in James's day, do you think they had shiny, polished glass mirrors like that? No, they didn't. They had little tiny pieces of polished metal. It was often bronze, given the time period it was. And so if you've ever seen yourself like in the reflection of one of those sliding boards, do you remember metal sliding boards? Kids, you have these Tupperware slides right now that don't really work. We had these super sleek metal slides that would like shoot you out like you're evil Knievel, like you were a daredevil coming out of a cannon. And if it was in the middle of the summer, they were like 4,000 degrees, like you were like sliding down the surface of Mars, right? Anybody remember those? All oh, those were the days. Especially if it went into like a lake or something or into a pool, you slide down like you're on fire and then you're in the water. It's like, can you go right back up and do it again? Right? Big metal slides. But you remember like seeing yourself on the reflection of that and it was like a funhouse mirror and there was like that little... So back then, their mirrors were kind of like that. They weren't perfect. But they could get an idea of how they looked. They could kind of get an angle. Oh, okay, I look, I look okay. Have you ever looked in the mirror fast before you leave the house and you realize you button your shirt all the way wrong or... I don't have this problem, your hair wasn't combed right, whatever it was. Any of you ever done that? Yeah, we've all done that, I think. We've all had something like that. You had something stuck in your teeth, I don't know, whatever it is. You have that idea. And here, this idea to receiving, responding to the word that he's talking about, this, this phrase he puts in there, the analogy here is someone who looks in a mirror and sees their face, but they don't remember right away. He, he's someone looking at his own face in the mirror, but... You deceive yourself. See, he looks he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, because if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. But what does he do? Verse 24 tells us it's like someone who doesn't really see what they look like. This is someone who doesn't see what they look like. For he looks at himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. What kind of person he was. That's what's talking about here. The whole picture. You don't really see how bad you are. You don't really see your need for a Savior. You don't really see the places in your life that you've got to clean out. You don't really do that. If you don't stop, you don't stay in God's Word. You don't read it and pray about it and let it penetrate your heart. You're like someone that glances in the mirror, doesn't get a real picture of who they are, and walks away. You don't really hear the Word, therefore you don't really get the Word, therefore you don't really receive it, you don't do it. You don't really do it. You're not going to actually live into God's word. You just don't understand it. And that's what we're talking about. It's not just how you receive the words, how you respond to the word here. Verse 25, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. 
This person will be blessed in what he does. The other picture, instead of being someone who doesn't really see it, just goes, ah, I don't really get it. Someone who stops, who takes a deep look into their heart, into their life, and they do that by getting into the word of God. That's the person who prioritizes knowing, taking the word in, dwelling on it richly, praying about it. This is someone who gets their life in order. They're straightened out inside and outside. Because when you get your heart right with God, that permeates your very being. It changes the way you live your life, the way you prioritize your life, what matters to you, what you do. It gives you inner peace, it gives you guidance, and it gives you purpose beyond what you've had. And because of that, you are aligned with God's heart. However imperfectly, you're a sinner seeking God, knowing you need him, and God is going to guide you and care for you and love you, and he's going to provide that loving arms around you, and that's like that armor, that's like that protection. He's going to be with you, and because of that, friends, you will be blessed. So the mirror here that we're talking about, of course, is Scripture, and the Word changes both what we hear, how we perceive ourselves in the world around us, and therefore it changes how we prioritize and understand our lives and what we do. That's what we're talking about here. It changes the focus. As we know the Word of God, it not only changes the focus, it changes it because it changes us. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that coming up here in just a couple weeks. We have to be anchored in the Word because it's not going to change just what we do, but how we talk to others, how we talk about things in the world around us, to change how we see vile sinners in the world around us because we know the most vile of sinners we know is probably us. It's going to change the way we talk about people. We're going to learn about that, I think, in three weeks. We're going to talk about the tongue. We're going to talk about the tongue in three weeks. We're going to talk about that coming up in verse 27. Here's the kicker. Pure and undefiled religion before the God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What is that saying? What is that saying? Who are the most powerless people in the world right now? You have to think about that for yourself. As I pray about that, I always think of unborn children. Who protects them? John Legend and Chrissy Teigen, who are celebrities, they, unfortunately, they lost a child that they were carrying. They were, they were getting ready to have a child and they lost it. And, and that's a terrible tragedy. And some of you have gone through that. And I wish nothing but prayer and blessing and wonder on them. But ironically this week, Planned Parenthood said, we're so sorry you lost your baby. When is it a baby, Planned Parenthood? When a celebrity loses their child that they wanted, it's a baby. But if someone doesn't want it, it's not a baby. And this is nothing against the people that lost their baby. This isn't their fault at all. And I'm so sorry it happened to them. When we don't have the word of God, we deceive ourselves, that we contradict ourselves, and this is what we see in the world around us. We don't see those who are powerless. We don't see those who are hurting. And in our own arrogance, in our own sinfulness, we don't protect those who need protected. How about children that are getting caught up in sex trafficking? We have ministries we support at our church like Rahab. 
You do incredible work. What about the people you know in the world around you? Who is someone that's like a widow or an orphan who has no protection in the culture and the world around them? That's what James's world was like. If you were a widow or an orphan, you had no protection. Who are those people in your world? This week, as we prepare to come to the table, I want to invite you to do something. I want you to take a look in the mirror this week. I want you to take a look in the mirror. What do you say to others? We're going to talk more about that, like I said, in a couple weeks. What are you and I doing to others? And how are we reacting? How are we understanding who we are and who God is? How do we react to God in our lives? That's what I want you guys to think about. That's what I want you to pray about this week. What are you saying to others? Take a good look in the mirror. Draw into God's word and look at what God's word says. If you need something devotional, first of all, I would encourage you to get into one of our groups that are kicking off. Those are online, a lot of them. If you need help technically with that, let us know. We will help you with that. But we want you to get into God's word. It is the mirror to our souls. Learn about what we're saying to others. Learn about what we're doing to others. How then are we reacting to God? Are we getting all the gunk out of our lives? Are we making room for God's word to take control of our lives? Friends, as we come to the table this morning, as we come to the table this morning, we don't want to come in a manner that is unworthy. So I invite you to bow and pray together with me this morning as we pray for forgiveness from God's word. Holy God, we'll be honest with you today. It's really hard. It's really hard for us in our world to stay with all the stress and all the difficulty around us to wear masks and avoid all these public gatherings and to have patience and to have hope. And some of us are struggling. We want to do what's right. We want to say what's right. We want to trust in your word and we're just struggling this morning. We want to seek you. So God, give us the power. Give us the opportunity to seek you. Show us through your word, through your life, as we pray, as we draw into scripture, where we need to clean out the gunk in our lives. Sometimes, God, we forget the people around us and we toss them aside and we get frustrated. We're so threadbare after months of this pandemic and the unrest. I ask that you would give us an extra measure of your grace. God, bring to our hearts and our minds as we look in the mirror of your word, as it tells us what is good, what is right, and what is there to bless us, to protect us, to guide us, what we need to get out of our lives. God, even now, as we're praying, we're asking your forgiveness for things in our lives that we need to get out of the way. We're doing that. God, where we're uncomfortable, where we feel guilty, where we're broken, where we look for the things that are brighter and shinier and, and more enticing than you, God, show us those things that are not of you. Guide us with your word that it would be the compass that guides our souls in our lives. Help us to seek and to serve you, to be better people, to be servants, to be humble, to receive the fullness of your word in truth. God, guide us, strengthen us, forgive us, use us for your glory, and anchor us in the truth of your holy word this day, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.